I did want to say it, uh, it's kind of a neat thing to be able to sing a song like Victory in Jesus or telling the story about our faith in Christ and the gospel with the background. I know maybe some of you, the blinking lights of the lightning may put you in a migraine, but I was thinking about you know, just the backdrop of that, the storms in our lives, and still being able to sing these songs of hope. Uh, that's, uh, for the deep thinkers in the room, that, uh, hopefully that, that came across. Uh, later on in our sermon today, I'm going to come back to that thought when we talk about the gospel, talking about the wisdom of the gospel today. And uh, I do want to welcome you to our brand new series that we're calling Be Wise. And I'm going to ask for a little bit of participation at the beginning here. If you would, would you raise your hand, commit to this if, uh, if you truly uh, believe this about yourself. If, if you would say, I really genuinely uh, want to be, men, I want to be a good husband. Guys in the room? Okay. How about ladies? If you're married, how many of you would say, I, I genuinely want to be a good wife? I really do. Awesome. Uh, how about uh, parents, grandparents? I, I really, in my soul, I want to be, I don't always get it right, but I, I want to be a good parent, a good grandparent. I'd like to say that. Okay. Awesome. And uh, when we think about a follower of Christ or just a, a person in the community or a friend, I think we would continue to say the same thing is true of us. We want to be a good mom, a good dad, a good wife, a good husband, a good friend, a good follower of Christ, a good person. I think that that would be true of most of us in the room. My question on the other side of that is, where do you get the knowledge to know how to do that? Just because we want to do something doesn't necessarily mean that we automatically know how to do it. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good dad. Where am I going to find the knowledge to, to know how to do that. Who am I going to trust? Who are you going to trust to guide you in those pursuits? It's a noble pursuit. It's a good thing to pursue being those things. But who are you going to trust in the pursuit of becoming a good whatever? Whose, whose discernment, whose judgment are you going to trust to be able to help you form certain conclusions or have certain opinions uh, in life that would lead you towards being a good wife, a good husband, a good follower of Jesus Christ. Is it going to, how about this? Well, I'll give you some ideas, some samples. How about Judge Judy? Do we follow her? She seems wise. I mean, she's uh, on TV, gets paid a lot of money uh, to, to be wise, I guess, in making these decisions. Uh, Judge Judy. Now, some of you in the room, uh, this next example, you don't have a clue who I'm talking about, uh, but uh, there's a couple, so this is for you uh, if you're younger. Taylor Swift. How about Taylor Swift? Uh, Taylor Swift has, you know, she says, uh, just calm down. Uh, she says, uh, just shake it off, right? Seems like sound, sound uh, advice for life, right? Maybe Taylor Swift is who we should trust to give us sound judgment and wisdom in life. How about some other options. Maybe we should trust the politicians. Uh, no? Boy, that one got the biggest reaction yet. Okay. Uh, no, no politicians. How about maybe your college professors, right? I had some college professors. They seem, they seem pretty smart. How about this one? I'll throw myself uh, out there as a possibility of maybe we can, maybe we can't. How about pastors? Can we necessarily just blindly trust the pastors uh, that, that lead congregations? Maybe. Maybe not. Before we can apply wisdom, quote, wisdom that we get from these people that we've mentioned, 
whoever they might be, I think we should ask important questions like, okay, whoever you're talking about, Judge Judy or the pastor, I don't care who you're talking about, I want to know where did they get their knowledge? I want to know where, where is, what experiences are they pulling from to be able to, to make decisions and to give advice? How, where, where are they getting their judgment when they're forming conclusions, when they're forming opinions? Where are they pulling that information from? I want to know that before I, I commit to, uh, to uh, listening to or applying the wisdom that I might get from these various sources. I want to know where they got their information from, and you should too. This series is about how God's wisdom, God's truth is reliable, it is trustworthy. When we talk about God's wisdom, this is what we can know for sure that we can apply to our everyday lives. And if we do that, it's going to make life better. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, we see that this is a letter written from the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, if you don't know anything about him, his background was... Uh, he was a Pharisee, and uh, he was a rising star among the Pharisees. And he was someone who hated Christianity and hated Christians because in his mind, from his perspective, as a, as a Jew, uh, the Christians, uh, they, were, they were distorting truth in his mind. And uh, they, he saw them as a threat to, uh, to what uh, he saw as, as the truth of who God is because the Christians were saying that Jesus is the Messiah that you've been waiting for. And that's not the viewpoint that, that uh, Paul, at that time in his life, his name was Saul, that, that he, he didn't believe that. And uh, Paul was actually on his way to a city to imprison, possibly uh, even have executed uh, Christians who were following Jesus. And on his way to the city of Damascus to do that, he had an interaction, a miraculous interaction with Jesus Christ. And uh, through that interaction with, with, the, uh, with the risen Jesus Christ, he came to trust Christ as his Savior and surrendered his life to Jesus. His life was completely transformed and became one of the greatest missionaries the world's ever seen, wrote most of the New Testament. That's, that's who we're talking about when we talk about the Apostle Paul. That's who wrote this letter. And he wrote it, according to verse 2, he wrote this letter to a church to God's church, now that's significant, that's not a brand name uh, of, of churches, God's church, the reason he identifies it as God's church. The word church in the original language in that time just meant gathering of people. And so you could have a pagan gathering of people. You could have a, a community gathering of people at the community building. That would be the same word. And so he identifies this gathering of people as God's people, as the followers of Jesus Christ. And he writes this letter to a gathering of Christians, a gathering of Jesus followers in the city of Corinth. That's who this is written to. The Apostle Paul actually started this church in Corinth, in the city of Corinth, about the year A.D. 50. Okay, so 
little 50 uh, years after the birth of Christ. And he spent about a year and a half uh, in the city of Corinth establishing this church in a city that was very wealthy. It was a port city. A lot of commerce came through the city of, of Corinth. It was very wealthy. Uh, it was also extremely immoral. The city of Corinth was defined by a, a desire to make as much money as possible and to enjoy as much pleasure as possible with no limitations on sexuality. That's what defined the city of Corinth. If, if you were to hear someone in the first century say, you're a Corinthian, what they would mean by that is kind of like if someone called you a barbarian, right? The word barbarian has certain qualities associated with it that are not good. And the same thing would have been true in the first century of those who would be called a Corinthian. Everyone knew what that meant. That meant there were certain, uh, a certain lifestyle that was associated with living in Corinth. More and more money, more and more pleasure, no limitations on sexuality. That's what Corinthian, or the, what the Corinth was all about. So if you can imagine in a modern day setting, it would be like trying to uh, plant a church in the city of Las Vegas, right? That would be challenging, right? Because there's a certain lifestyle that is associated with the city of Las Vegas. Same thing was true in the first century in Corinth. So he uh, spends about a year and a half there, establishes this church, he moves on. He goes on to Ephesus and plants a church in Ephesus. He's there about four or five years in Ephesus, and he gets word from some of the people in the church at Corinth that there's problems. They send a messenger. They send a letter to Paul while he's in Ephesus. We've got problems in Corinth. There's, there's sexual immorality in our church. There's dissension among people in our church. And so the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this letter to a church who at that time, uh, they were applying the wisdom of the world to their lives, the wisdom of the world to their church, instead of applying the wisdom of God. Now there's a lot of differences between our church here today and the church that existed in, in Corinth back in the year 50. We are a more rural congregation. This is not the city life that we live in, as opposed to Corinth was, it was very urban, very city-like in, uh, in the culture and the environment that they lived in. They were also a new church, right? This, this church, this gathering of believers has been established since like the, the late 1930s. We've been around a while, and we've got people in our church that have been around a while, who've been Christians for a long, long time. The city of Corinth, this church in Corinth, like the, the, the person in that church who would have been the saved the longest would have been like six years. This church is only you know, six years old at this time. It's a young church. Not necessarily uh, that all the people in it were young, but they were new in their faith. So they were different in that sense from uh, our church today. But we struggle with a lot of the same things in, in our lives, in our church life. Uh, in how we would apply the Word of God even today. Like materialism, that was something they struggled with. We still struggle with materialism and, and have to push back on that all the time. 
sexuality is something that uh, in, in our world, in our culture, as Christians, uh, we are constantly having to push back on, on the sexuality going on and keeping sexual purity in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. And that can be a struggle uh, even in our world today. And this letter that Paul wrote, it deals with all kinds of practical issues. It deals with the issues uh, that, that we would find in marriage. In a, how do you have a strong marriage? Uh, he deals with issues like how do you establish God-honoring priorities in your life? Right? That's something that we would want to know. Uh, what about self-discipline? How, how do we apply principles of self-discipline in our lives that honors God? How do you handle local church issues, right, when there's disagreements among people or uh, competing visions uh, within a local church? How do you deal with that? How do you, how do you put together uh, a worship experience for people? These are the kinds of issues, a very, uh, a very helpful and practical letter. And the reason it's so helpful, the reason it's so practical is because it is rooted in the wisdom of God. It's wisdom that comes from God, which means it's reliable, which means that it is trustworthy. It means that if we apply it to our everyday lives, it will make our lives better. So over the next couple months, we're going to study this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And uh, here's how we're going to study the letter together. I have organized uh, the chapters. There's 15 chapters. I've organized them into themes. Rather than have uh, an approach where it's verse by verse, chapter by chapter, nothing wrong with doing it that way. But that's not how I've organized it. Uh, and I organized it into themes over the next 11 weeks uh, because Paul, uh, in this letter, he addresses certain issues and uh, some of those issues spill out into multiple chapters, and uh, at times those issues aren't even uh, in, like, in sequence. So you could have an issue starting in chapter 1, and it gets addressed again in chapter 3. Uh, those are the kind of things. So it's not always in sequence. Sometimes the theme that he's talking about gets interrupted with a different theme, and even though that second theme is connected to the first one, uh, it's really kind of hard to follow if you're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm sure there are uh, pastors who are much more skilled than I am that could pull that off. Uh, but uh, the way I've organized it is theme by theme. Uh, for example, we're, we're looking at the wisdom of, of God today in the gospel. The wisdom of the gospel. And Paul addresses this issue in chapters 1 and in chapter 2. But what we're talking about today will resurface next week because the wisdom of the gospel, what he addresses in, in chapters 1 and 2, uh, is directly connected to some of this dissension that was happening within the local church that he addresses in chapter 1 and chapter 3. He kind of interrupts this issue of dissension with this subject matter of the gospel they are connected, but to help keep all that stuff organized in our minds, uh, I've broken it out. We're going to talk about the gospel today. We'll talk about dissension next week and how those things are connected. I think it'll be a, an easier way to keep track of these things in our minds. I think it also makes a lot of sense to combine certain uh, topics like love and marriage. Uh, he talks about uh, love in, in chapter 
uh, 13, right? Everyone's familiar with chapter 13, but he also talks about marriage in chapter 7, and those, those things uh, can, can go together very well around Valentine's Day, right? So rather than waiting until week 7 or week 13, uh, we're going to move those two things, put them together, move them up uh, to the 16th, and we'll talk about those, those topics around Valentine's Day, okay? Right, wrong, whatever, that's how I've organized it, and to help uh, help you be able to uh, follow through with that and so that we make sure that we're, that we're getting the entire letter, you can, you can help me out uh, and you can make this series the most effective uh, series possible by following along each week with the chapters that we're going to read uh, and study the, 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 the upcoming weekend. Now, here's how we're going to do that. I have it on the website, so you can follow on the notes page there. For those of you who don't have access to that, there's a paper back there. It just looks like uh, one of the inserts that has uh, every theme uh, between now and Easter that we're going to look at and the chapters that are attached to that theme. And so what I would recommend you do is either online or grab one of those papers, put it in your Bible, and then during the week... Like for next week, we're going to be looking at chapters uh, two, one, and chapter one and chapter three. So I would recommend that this week, sometime, that you read chapters one, chapter three, read it a couple times. That way, when you come next weekend, you'll be better prepared for the conversation that we're going to have uh, about disagreements uh, that, that people uh, have. Okay, so that's how we're going to approach it. Uh, hopefully, that will be that will be helpful to you. All right, so here we go. We're start the series talking about. Uh, being wise about the gospel and learning how the wisdom of the gospel makes life better. We're going to start in verse 4. Verse 4 says, I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. We'll pause on that for a moment. When he addresses those who belong to Christ Jesus, he's talking about those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. He's talking about those who believe the gospel message. And I think it's important that we just pause at the beginning of a conversation about the gospel and make sure that we define what we mean by the gospel. I hate it when I'm in a group of people and and they're talking about a particular subject that I'm not familiar with and they're using words that I don't know. It's really hard to follow along. you got two mechanics, let's say, and uh, two mechanics are talking, and I'm the third person in the conversation, and they're talking about the master cylinder and the calipers and this and that, and I'm like, yeah, you don't want to get caterpillars in, uh, in your cylinders. That would that'd be bad, you know, especially the master one. You get butterflies flying out of there. That wouldn't be good for your car, right? So the mechanics in the room like that joke, right, Ralph? You like that, yeah. So anyway, we're going to define what we mean by the gospel, because I don't want us to spend the next you know, 15, 20 minutes talking about a word that you're like, I don't even know what the gospel is. Right? So let's define what we mean by that. The word gospel, you can write this down in your notes, simply means good news. And here's what the good news is. You and I, this might sound like bad news, I guess it kind of starts out that way, you and I are born sinners. We are born separated spiritually from God, with no way for us to be made right with God on our own. But even though we're born sinners, separated from God, God has, in His wisdom, 
in His grace, in His love, He has provided for us a way to be made right with Him, a way for us to be reconciled to Him, a way for us to be forgiven of our sin. Well, what is that way that God provided? The way that God provided was sending His own Son, Jesus Christ, to be a sinless sacrifice on the cross. That sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross satisfied the wrath of God against our sin. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31, Paul describes the gospel this way, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made Him to be wisdom itself. Here's the wisdom of the gospel. Watch. Christ made us right with God. That's called reconciliation. Our relationship with God is made right through faith in Christ. He made us pure. He made us holy. He freed us from sin. These are all the benefits that come spiritually from a relationship, a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. And verse 31 says, if you're going to boast, you can't boast that you figured this out. You can't boast that you earned your way to God. Jesus did all of this for you. You just trust in Him to keep His promise. So our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption, it's all connected to our faith in Jesus Christ as our forgiver of sin, our giver of eternal life. The only way of being made right with God... We start with admitting that we are sinners, separated from a holy God, with no way of earning our way to God, with no way of making ourselves right with God. We can't accept, uh, we can't earn God's acceptance. We, we can only make a decision to trust in the grace, in the gift of grace that God is offering, the one and only way of being made right with Him. Trusting Christ as our forgiver, of sin, our rescuer from hell, our giver of eternal life, the leader of our everyday lives. So this is the gospel. This is what we mean by the good news, that Jesus did everything for us and that we just simply trust him to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Now, I would, I would say to you, that's something to be thankful for. Would you say amen, that that's something to be thankful for? And Paul addresses that in the, in the following verses. Go back to verse 4. With your understanding of what the gospel is, he says, I thank God for you, for the gracious gifts that he's given you. Now, we'll talk about those spiritual gifts later on in the letter. But the, God's given them gifts. It says in verse 5, through him, God has enriched your church in every way. And he talks about these eloquent words and, and all of your knowledge. God had blessed them with some really smart people. One of the leaders in their church we'll look at later on, named Apollos. Uh, he was a, an excellent communicator, and God had blessed them with that. And uh, there, were, there were people in the church that just had very sharp minds to be able to understand things. And, and he says this, in verse 6, this confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to talk here just about how he's thankful for what God is doing in their lives through the power of the gospel. The gospel was making a difference in their lives. I hope, I pray, that that could be said of you and of me, that the gospel, the power of the gospel, is making a difference in our lives. And if so, we should be very, very thankful for that. 
Because the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't just give us eternal hope beyond this life. It really does make our lives better. It really does make our lives better. You know, the storm uh, backgrounds that we had in our songs this morning. You think about the gospel uh, in, in our lives on stormy days when we're going through experiences in life that are dark and difficult and that we're struggling in. And yet, because of the gospel, because of our hope in Jesus Christ, we can still sing songs of joy and hope and gladness, even in those dark days. That's what the gospel does for us. And so Paul is thankful for the gospel. I'm sure you are, right? I know enough of you, well enough to know that you also are thankful for the gospel and what Jesus Christ is doing in your life. But Paul says something else about the gospel that we need to remember in verse 18. Go there with me. He says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. So you have a group of people that don't know Jesus as their Savior. Uh, they haven't trusted Christ as their forgiver. And for them, the message of the cross, the gospel, it's foolishness to them. But we who are being saved, we know it's the very power of God. As the Scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. The gospel is making a difference in our lives, but the wisdom of the gospel, listen, is not something you figured out on your own. It's not something you figured out because you're super smart, because you're really insightful, because you're really in tune with spiritual things. No, God revealed to you the wisdom of the gospel. God did that for you. Go on here in verse 22, and he, he addresses this very specifically. He says, it's, in the gospel, it's foolish to the Jews because they ask for signs from heaven. To the Jewish person of that day who was looking for a political leader to come in and over, overthrow Rome and reestablish Israel as the world's superpower, uh, to them, this whole message of the cross, this carpenter from Galilee in the middle of nowhere who died on a cross as a criminal, are you kidding? Right? That's how they viewed that message of the cross. He's not the guy. Our guy's going to roll into, into Jerusalem and take over. That's the guy we're looking for. That's the guy we're waiting for. Them, the message of the cross, for many of them, it was, it was foolishness. The Greeks, he says, uh, also, they seek wisdom. To them, it was, it was foolishness. So the Gentile world, they, they saw the world, and so does our culture, through logic and philosophy. We can relate to that. Our, our, uh, our culture here in America is very much rooted in that Greek philosophy of logic. And, uh, and, and that's just how we view the world, as opposed to other places in the world that don't see the world that way. But they did, and to them, the same thing. The, the, the death of a criminal on the cross, uh, an instrument of, of, of shame, they, they couldn't see the logical connection between that and eternal life. It made no sense. They didn't connect. Says the experts, they couldn't figure it out. The philosophers, the debaters, they couldn't figure it out. Verse 23, so when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews, they're offended. The Gentiles say it's nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, 
Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, all the experts, the debaters, all the smart people, the people who are in tune with spiritual things, none of that knowledge and experience and judgment, none of that led them to a personal knowledge of God. They didn't figure it out on their own. God revealed the wisdom of the gospel to them who believed and to you and to me who believe. You and I cannot look at the cross and take credit for figuring that out. Oh, that must be something, you know, you see uh, someone wearing a necklace with a cross on. Oh, that, you look at a piece of jewelry and somehow you figured out what that meant. No, God revealed that truth to you about the gospel. He goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and he says this. He's talking about himself. When I came to you first, dear brothers and sisters, I, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. He didn't use words of eloquence, even though that was important to them. Not what I did. He said, I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid, trembling, my message and my preaching were very plain, nothing fancy. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did this so you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. It's not that good preaching is not important to Paul. In the very next verse, he says, you know, to, in other situations, I use, uh, I use wisdom. I use solid uh, eloquence. Not to you, because that's something that was so valuable to you. I didn't want you to get lost in that. I wanted you to see the wisdom of God in the gospel. So the gospel is not something that a preacher can take credit for. If you understand the gospel, it's not because a preacher uh, was so very talented and gave this amazing sermon. That's not why the gospel made sense to you. When you understand the gospel, it is because the Holy Spirit used that sermon to bring spiritual understanding, spiritual discernment, and spiritual life to you. The Holy Spirit gets the credit. Some of you are like, oh, okay, well, that's why this sermon's so boring. Pastor Mark didn't put any effort into it. He kind of figured, what's the point? Right? No, I, I work hard on the sermons, but I cannot take credit for you understanding what's being talked about in Scripture, or I can't take credit for any kind of spiritual change that might happen in your life. God does that. The Holy Spirit does that. Paul's point is this. The gospel does not make sense to human wisdom. It doesn't make any sense to human intelligence. The logic doesn't add up. It's not how you and I would have done it if we had the plan. How are you going to save humanity from sin? It's not the plan we would have come up with. It's not even the people that we would have offered salvation to. The gospel is the wisdom of God through the Holy Spirit, and it reveals to us the truth He does through spiritual discernment and understanding. Okay, so understanding that you didn't figure it out, and it's not, I can't take credit for it, right? You got all that? At this point, we should be asking ourselves, so what? Okay, fine, I didn't figure it out, I'm not that smart, uh, I'm not that spiritually in tune or whatever. I'm not that clever. Fine. God revealed it to me. So what? Here's, here's why this matters. Ready? 
Write this down. This is what's on your notes page this morning. You can fill in these blanks. Here it is. Trusting in the wisdom of God for the gospel, which is what we just talked about. Trusting in the wisdom of God for the gospel should lead us to trust in the wisdom of God for life, for your everyday life. You trust in the wisdom of God in the gospel, which doesn't make sense to human intelligence. The logic doesn't add up. It's not how we would have done it. It's not how we would have uh, given it away. Yet if we're going to trust God with the wisdom of the gospel, then that should lead us to trust God for His wisdom in our everyday lives. And I'll just ask, you don't have to answer out loud, uh, but I'm just going to ask you a very honest question. Is there anything in your life right now that if you had the power to change it, you would change it? If it was up to you and, and with a snap of a finger, you could make this happen or that happen, there's something that you don't like... I would change this. Probably. Maybe it's a health problem. Maybe it's a financial struggle that you've been going through. Maybe it's even something about yourself that you wish you could change. I wish I was smarter. I wish I was better looking. I wish I was more talented. I wish I was this or that. Trusting in the wisdom of God for the gospel should lead us to trust in the wisdom of God for your everyday life. Especially the things that don't make sense to us. Especially the things that kind of defy logic. I don't get it. I don't understand what you're doing here. Okay. You trust me in the wisdom for the gospel. That doesn't make sense either. Why can't you trust me in the wisdom of what I'm doing in your life? I think I've shared this with you before. Uh, I Currently... The, the president of our national ministerium, and um, even to this even to this day, I, I find myself at times asking God why 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 He had chosen me for that for that role, especially when I uh, I sit around the table with the guys who are on that team on that board. And there's I'm telling you, there are guys on on that team that are just brilliant, brilliant far smarter than, than, than I am. There are guys uh, sitting around that table that I think are better leaders than I am. And, and, and there's a temptation when you're in an environment like that to, to, to say, I don't understand. Why, I would not have picked me, God. See, if I can trust in the wisdom of God for the gospel, then I have to be able to trust God for the wisdom that he has in unfolding my life and where he puts me and what he asks me to do. I've got to trust him with that too, even if it doesn't make sense to me. We read verses. Some of you have it memorized, right? You probably memorize it when you were a little kid or you know, as, a, as a young Christian, one of the first verses, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things, all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose, right? We memorize that verse. We quote that verse to each other. Isn't it tempting, though, sometimes to say, whoa, whoa, time out. Wait, I don't get it, God. I don't see it. I know what the verse says. But I don't understand how this is going to work out for good. I don't see it. I don't see the scenario in which this turns out to be for good for anybody. Isn't that tempting sometimes? 
To say, I don't see the wisdom of God in what I'm going through. It's not how I would have done it. It certainly doesn't look good from where I'm standing. Tempting. You know, Pastor Matt uh, Plot at our Juniata campus is doing an incredible job. He really is doing a great job, and I'm, I'm thrilled that he's on our team. He's been a tremendous asset to our pastoral team. I'm really glad that he's here, truly. But if you would have said, here's five options on how we're going to get Pastor Matt involved in your pastoral team and leading this church into a, a generation of growth and a new life, if you would have said, here's five options, and one of them was, your dad's going to die. I'm telling you, I wouldn't have picked that option. Just being honest, I would not have picked that option. Trusting in the wisdom of God for the gospel means that I also have to trust in the wisdom of God for everyday life. I can see it now. I can see how God's plan makes sense now. Still doesn't mean that's how I would have done it. If you were standing at the foot of the cross and you're watching Jesus die, in that moment, it would have looked like a pointless death. It would have looked like, you know, here, here, here's this man who's sinless, he's perfect. Why is he on the cross? What is the point of all of this? We thought it was going to turn out this way. It wouldn't have made any sense. And you know, what was happening right in front of Mary and John, what was happening in front of them, Jesus was, was paying the spiritual price for your sin and for mine. That was happening in that moment, and in the moment they couldn't have seen that. They didn't see it. You read an instruction in the Bible, you pick one. Your choice. There's a boundary line on your thoughts, your actions, your behaviors, your attitude. You pick it. There's a temptation there in your heart to say, wow, I see what it says. But those rules don't apply to me because that's not the rules that I would have written for myself. No. And when we do that, what we're saying is, I'm smarter than God. I've got more wisdom than God. I'll do my own thing. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to trust in the wisdom of God for the gospel. And that should lead me to trust in the wisdom of God for my everyday life. The things that God is doing in my life, the boundary lines, the instructions that God has set for my life, I should trust Him. That He has the knowledge, that He has the discernment and the judgment, that He has the experience, that He's got the wisdom to know what is best for my life more than I do. The gospel, Paul tells us, doesn't make sense. From a standard of human wisdom and intelligence, it doesn't make sense. The logic doesn't add up. It's something that we need God to reveal to us to help us understand and believe. So my question to some of you might be this. Has God revealed that to you? Has God revealed to you the truth of the gospel in a way that makes sense to you? If so, have you taken that step of faith to trust Jesus to do for you what you cannot do for yourself? 
And if so, then trusting God in the, uh, for the wisdom of the gospel ought to lead your heart to trust God's wisdom for your everyday life. So very practically speaking, and I would encourage you to write this down somewhere, maybe on your notes, or have a discussion over lunch. If you can trust God with your eternal soul, and I think most of you in the room would claim that you are, right? Most of you would say, yeah, I'm absolutely trusting God with my eternal soul through Jesus Christ. Awesome. Then you can trust him with, you fill in the blank, whatever it is that you're walking through right now. You can trust him with whatever it is. You fill in the blank. Maybe you want to write it down. This hurts. This doesn't make sense. This is a struggle that I don't know what I'm going to do with, Lord. Write it down. I can trust you with this, God. Where do you need maybe to step back into obedience, right? There's instructions for how to live life here in God's wisdom. Maybe it's not how you would have written it, but this is, how it was, this is what God said is right, what God says is wrong, the best way to handle this or the best way to handle that in life, right? Best way to do marriage, whatever it is, God's wisdom is here. And just because it doesn't match up with what you like or, or how you would do it, doesn't cancel out the fact that, that it's God's wisdom that's reliable and trustworthy, more so than yours or mine. So maybe there's something in your life where you need to say, you know what, I need to find out what God says about this in my life and surrender to that. Rather than try and ask Judge Judy or even ask myself, you know, I, Taylor Swift is not going to lead me towards a Jesus-centered life, right? She's not. Maybe you need to fill in the blank. This, in my life, I need to surrender to the wisdom of God. I don't know what it would be. You fill in the blank. Trusting in the wisdom of God for the gospel should lead us to trust in the wisdom of God for everyday life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love and kindness towards us. I thank you that we've been able to get this new series started in 1 Corinthians. And I pray that over the next two months, as we walk through this together, that uh, the wisdom of your word would come alive, that we would have a great desire, a strong desire to apply it to our lives because it's going to make our lives better. Maybe not easier, but definitely, for sure, better. I want to thank you for the opportunity to do this every weekend. I pray that throughout the week, as uh, these folks will read through these chapters ahead of time, that that would be some uh, very special time, and you were a very special time uh, alone with you, perhaps, not only to prepare for uh, the sermon each week, but just, just to allow your spirit to speak to hearts uh, as they read through your word. And we'll thank you for whatever it is you want to do in those times. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.